Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Mizogart podcast. Hopefully you listened to last week's episode with James Gray and Cafe Art, which I'm sure you'll agree was a bit of a feel-good episode. There will be a similar sort of double episode in a few weeks, possibly even next week, with a prison arts charity, the Kessler Trust. For about six weeks every year, they put on an exhibition in the Royal Festival Hall, highlighting the artwork from prisoners and secure detainees. As well as paintings and sculpture, there's also a lot of poetry, spoken word, and for the few establishments that allow it, there's also a bit of film. It does get a lot of support from quite a few artists. I know Jeremy Deller is involved quite often. Anthony Gormley curated it last year. Sarah Lucas, a couple of years before that. As well as speaking to Kessler Trust about their show, I'll hopefully be speaking to Erica Flowers. She's an artist who was in prison herself a couple of years ago. I saw her work in last year's show. I got in contact with the Kessler Trust, asked about this specific piece of work, and it turns out Erica had just been released. So they put me in touch with her, and she was also in my Face Value 2 exhibition. Anyway, back to this week. We're in the studio with Cy Sapsford. And like I said last week, I've known Sai for quite a lot of years, as she was one of my tutors when I was at university. I know on here, just before the podcast, I'll apologise about the ambient noise. On this day, just behind Sai's studio, the school was having its sports day. So you can hear a lot of shouting and laughing and playing of the kids, so there's nothing to apologise for this week. And if you do dislike it, oh, you're an hard-nosed person. Anyway, you can find out now for yourself. Here's a conversation I really enjoyed between me and Cy Sapsford. 
I'm here today with Cy Sepsford in the Kingsgate Studios in Kilburn. How many artists are in, in this block? I don't know. My studio is Studio 28 and there's another floor. I think there must be like 40-something. Do you see any of them often? If I'm... Or just your neighbours? Yes, I see the neighbours. Or sometimes I will go to someone's studios. When If I want to work with Clay and uh, the studio at the end, Chris, he's got a double studio and I sometimes pop in there and I use some of his <laughs> clay. And is there a communal area here where you'd sit and have a coffee or would you just go into... Outside the studio, they used to have fridges and microwaves, but health and safety just re- had those removed. For what reason? Um, <coughs> I'm not sure exactly, because there, there was like one fridge, one microwave and one kettle, so you didn't need to have them all in your yeah. studio. We've had to get a, a bit... I mean, the studios over these have been broken into a lot of times. I mean, the, 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 the last time it was broken into, um, they'd just been changing all, making us all change our locks on the door. And I said, oh, like, I don't really want to change the lock on my door. I don't need it to be more secure. No one's ever stolen any of my work when they break in. They're really trying to steal the computers and have filmmakers. Have you in here, in this one? Yeah. Um, they, not, not recently, because they've got, uh, sort of put grills on the window and the security cameras, the police and uh, or fire brigade and things came round and they sort of enhanced the security. But what happened, everyone else had made their doors secure and uh, so when the burglars came in, they just ignored the doors and they just hammered through the plasterboard. Oh, shit. So there was so much damage to, to repair it all. Whereas with mine, it's got... A, they hadn't got round to changing my lock. They were insisting I did, and I was saying, oh, I, I can't see the point. I'd rather they just got in and caused their damage. And, of course, they could just push my door open yeah. and realise there was nothing worth having. And uh, they, weren't, they didn't wreck it or anything, did they? No. They just broke in? No, they were, they're, they're looking for computers. But we do back onto the part, which is lovely. But um, I think people could get over the fence and through the back way. It's quite sort of secluded on a dark night. You wouldn't think they had that around you, would you? Yeah. Well, yeah, no. anyway, no. It happened quite a lot regularly, and the, the police always say it's usually the same people coming back when that happens. But it hasn't happened recently because the securities are, you know, a lot better. Well, the work you've got here, you've got sculptural work, paintings. I see there isn't any new drawings about. No, no, the drawings are all away. I did find some old football drawings. Then it, a few years ago, I did. Um, well, it was just when Wembley was closing, they were starting the National Football Museum and they contacted me and asked if I would do a portrait of Pelé with my style of cross-hatching. Oh, nice. So I did that and then, because I live so close to Wembley, I just jumped on the train and it was the last day of Wembley and Pelé was there and he was kicking the last goal through the net and then I, I went up and took this drawing for him to sign and I handed over this little big biro pen for him to sign very discreetly somewhere but he just got out this big black felt tip and oh, scrawled no. Pelé <laughs> and I, I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah he's, he's seen the value of his signature in well that's what people are going for the value of the signature but I hadn't seen it and, and probably there's a, a greater value on the drawing because it's his did signature did he get it away from the drawing or over the, just it was on the drawing because the drawing took up the whole piece of paper but it is across the bottom I was a bit, I was sort of, I hadn't thought about what he would do. I, I just was handing this little thin pen over and he sort of ignored it. Yeah, so your signature's in the right, you presume the would just sort of somewhere yeah. near there. But if, if, I, if I wanted to sell the drawing, then obviously people are going to be more interested in it because of the signature. That's all right. It's a studio, it doesn't matter. It's not. It it's all right. Yeah, I'm just doing this interview with um, Gary, is it urgent?
Oh, it's, it's, it's a pocket core. I, I knew you mainly for your drawings. Did you? Mm. Well, that's all I'd ever seen of yours. When we was at uni, I'd only ever seen... Although you, you was teaching sculpture, like, do, is that still what you... Yes. Well, it's, it's across the board now. They, they don't really dis- make the distinction between subjects. I, I'd only seen... Like, we, we, I went to a couple of shows that, that you'd put stuff in, um, and the, the work I'd seen of yours was... Um, yeah, the, the biro drawings, big self-portraits. Mm. How would you... Like, the first question is, how would you explain what you do to someone who didn't know your work? I guess I always thought of myself as a sculptor. But what you didn't realise is that, that normally I would be doing a mechanical piece and the drawing would be on the wall going mm. on at the same time. Yes. And they, are, they, they were quite often, if not the same title, but they were connected. Mm. So the, the mechanical pieces are furniture, so they're sort of human scale and, and self-portraiture. And the drawings are self-portraiture as well. But your mechanical portraits... Uh, mechanical sculptures, sorry. Are they metaphors for people, each one of them? Yes, they are. The human condition. Yeah. I mean, all, the, all of the mechanical ones, they will have... Uh, I mean, quite often the title is drawn from an, a painting from art history that I've seen the title. Yeah. And I yeah. like. So the, the, the piece, um, A Woman with Drinking with Two Men and a Servant, was a, a painting that I... I think I saw it in Paris, and I really liked that title. And I was thinking about domestic abuse with with that as well and so then I, um, I make that piece the piece with the table and the chairs knocked over and um, it doesn't always apply but it's it's an art history reference yeah. but I do like it when they have those art history references is that what the the other ones are the, the, the few bits of the sculptural bits that I've seen of yours that aren't mechanical was the duster which was in shape of a gun yes and nuclear day cloth it, 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 it can be domestic violence or, 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 or that feeling of being trapped within a domestic situation and you, maybe your own career is sort of being held back. That moment it, there's an explosion there of wanting to get out and be something more than you're being able to do because of a, a situation, whether it's a work situation or being stuck in the home or feeling like that. Yeah, but I, I think most people would read it as domestic violence. Because a friend of mine, Lee... Ainsworth, yes. who you know, at the moment, he's he's the stay-at-home dad. His frustration is that the domestic side of it is getting in the way of his work. So he has now started a sort of alter ego called the frustrated housewife, that he sees himself as the frustrated housewife. When we first started talking about it, and I directly said about your duster, because you'd mentioned it to us when we saw you at the boot sale last year. You mentioned it then. Yeah. That's when we were talking about it there. Um, yes. So it came from there. Um, and he's just sort of evolving that at the moment. I'm sure there's lots of people that feel feel that frustration. It's not that you don't want to be the parent, and, and but it's a very shortened day, yeah. and you know you have you have to fit in around that. You can't give a hundred percent of you. Because I know myself when I if I have to start working, I do have to have sort of like half an hour getting into it before I get going. I think I think it is really hard. I mean the. The other thing is, is not just the making, but organising or try, trying to sort of develop ideas for exhibitions and things. I could manage it with one child, but when you've got two and they're at different ages, and then trying to keep that career going, uh, it's, you know, it can be really difficult. But I think maybe some of the, 
mechanical piece. I, I remember bringing Miller into the studio, and it was I was just getting one of the mechanical pieces ready to go to, for an exhibition, and I turned round and he pulled all the wires out of oh. the motor. And worse, I hadn't. There was quite a number of wires because it was a circuit board. Have you electrical knowledge? Um, well, I, I, I built it, oh. but the book, the book that I had for the, the circuit diagram wasn't at the studio, and it was supposed to be going off, and I was looking at all these wires and thinking, oh my Bowl God, and not only that, then he was talking, mummy, mummy, can I do this, can I do that, and I thought, I've got to think about where these wires go, and I thought, no, I'm not going to bring him to the studio again. Did, it get, did you get it going, though? I did, I did get it going. See, the one that I saw, the, the Wings of Love, after Van Dyke. Time Clips, The Wings of Love. Did you do that as a student? I love that one. Yes. It's like a, it's like a little girl playing in, a, in an attic room, isn't it? A... That was a, my old studio in Denmark Street. But I, I built it um, when I, in my last year at the Royal College. It, it was a kidney-shaped dressing table. Yeah. My friend Paul... Um, Very 1950s or... Yes. But it was, re- it was sort of referencing... Hollywood movies, the old ones, uh, where the woman in her maybe 40s or 50s, she's looking in the mirror, putting on her makeup, going out for dinner, but then suddenly taken back in time to when she was maybe going to her first dance, yeah. and she's waltzing on the stage. I saw Julie Andrews yes. on, the, on the top of the on yeah. the top of the mountain, spinning around. But it's a it's a very sort of um, the, the kidney shaped dressing table with the material around it was a sort of quite a working class sort yeah. of dressing table it wasn't glamorous and then I sort of made this yellow organza skirt and it was sort of really glammed up and it was spinning round but it was the, the spinning was slightly off centre and it had the, and the music when it speeded up the dressing table would speed up and when the music stopped it slowed down and the attic room made it look very very much like a memory didn't it very yes because it, it didn't it, it looked out of out of character in that room didn't it what was the music you used I can't, I can't remember I have it written down I was doing a residency in Paris, and in the basement they had concerts, and I went to the concert in the basement, and this girl was playing this piece, and the music that's playing is actually her playing it. Oh, it is. So I went to after, up to her after the concert, because I was in the concert, and suddenly the whole idea of, of what I've just said to you came into my head, and I said, oh, you know, would you mind if I had a copy of you playing it? So she gave me the copy of the music, and then the next day I went to look around one of the smaller museums and there was a painting up on the wall and it's called Time Clips, The Wings of Love and I said, that, that's it. I didn't see Time Clips on there, I just saw The Wings of Love. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. Was so it all came the together. first mechanical piece you've done? No, the, the first mechanical piece I did was uh, for a show in, in France um, and it, everyone called it Little Psy but it was a figurative piece, it was... Um, Myself, a third of the size in, in sort of a gel flex rubber, and it just had a tiny um, little motor that and, and, and it just caused it to tremble. And it was about Parkinson's, and it was wearing this um, oh, nice. um, like hospital gown you know, the hospital gowns, and they were shut down, yeah, down yeah, the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And I could, I remember when I was 12, I went into hospital, I think I was maybe had, had an appendix or something like that. And they put these gowns and you're sort of just walking down the corridor really self-conscious. <laughs> why do you always have to have your backside on yeah. display when you're, you know, in hospital? Why, why do they dignity do that? Dignity all round the front and it yeah. goes just a little strip round the back, you lose it your dignity. So, so that, that was the first piece. Um, but the, and, then, and then I did a piece called So This Is Love Then, which is a table and it moves around the room. When it hits something, it changes direction. And there was a chair it just had a big motor on its leg and sometimes the chair would get its legs oh. under the table and they'd just have these 
clashes and, and, and the chair would get tipped over. So I did see the one where the chair was just banging. Oh, that's it. No, that, that is that not it. No, no, because it's got a very oh, tiny wow. motor. I'll just put the end on the chair. It's okay, it's okay. Um, no, it, it was no, just banging I mean, against it, it was the wall, just wasn't from it? From the open studio. So the, this one is is is, is a, a different version of it, but it's the same sort of thing. But it, that the, in in the clip when it's banging against the chair, that's just because it because it's got stuck in the corner. Oh, I thought but, it had been just placed would, there. Yeah, and it um, was... but it would move around the room, and so and the chair, the table would be moving around the room, and sometimes they just get, knock into each other. And you'd get this sort of like banging, the chair wouldn't get out the way of the table, and it was just about relationships. So, how did you come by use producing mechanical work? Where, where what, did what that... started it? Yeah. Well, I suppose the, 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 the piece I'm calling Little Side, but is officially called Parkinson's, yeah. um, that was the first with a tiny motor trembling. But they, um, so this is love then. Maybe I was getting into my, the mechanical thing into my head from that, but I wanted it not to be so literal as a figure and then I switched to the table and the chair which are built to human scale and represent yeah. the body I, I, I saw and, it, and at the time I just sort of split up from a boyfriend it was a long term relationship so I was sort of thinking about relationships sometimes they're running smoothly and then sometimes it just goes haywire and then they pull apart a bit yeah, and it all yeah, goes yeah, smooth yeah. again and also the reference to the, the chair the getting get its feet under the it. table yeah, but I also that that was also the first time when I was sort of thinking as well. Although it was about my relationship and how that might function or not function, I could I could also see it as representing just relationships, um, like work. How any relationship it doesn't need to be a personal one, or just the way objects move in space. Um, I think I mentioned earlier to you about having a scientific background. I had mm. my first degree was in uh, uh, genetics and parasitology. And so I've always had a, quite a strong interest in more in the genetics to some degree because I still have a lot of friends who carried on in that line of work. So I sort of kept, you know, a toe in the water of, in terms of my, that interest. But I, I like to think that, you know, that objects moving in space and how they relate to each other and proximity and distance. I like that. So why did you have pen drawings sitting alongside the mechanical pieces? Yeah. Were they, were they one of the same work? Were they two halves of the same work? Because you're saying they had, they had the same title. Sometimes they would have the same title. I think they have to be sort of connected because some of them were done at the same time as each other. But at the beginning, the, the, the mechanical pieces would have like circuit boards. And sometimes when I was sort of like um, putting the circuit boards together, it wouldn't work how I wanted. And, it, and the pieces took quite a long time to put together and when I was thinking about what I wanted to do it was quite nice to have these very detailed cross-hatching drawings and I would just be doing that while I was thinking how to solve a problem. So it's a really massive doodle. Yes and also I mean I think a lot of people when they're trying to get you know if, if ever you've made things trying to get into the workshop and a slot to make or weld and things you don't always you can't always just go in straight away so there yeah. would be a waiting period waiting for the, the workshop to open and I would I would be doing those. So the one things. You've done one of Faisal. What come first? Because is that the same picture as the oil painting that you've done of him that was in the RA last year? Okay, so, so the, the, the I did the drawing for Faisal. So in that respect, it's, although I've done the A1 drawing... Um, oh, is it A1? I didn't even see the size well, he's, of it. Well, he's, he's, they made it into a photo etching, which is the same, same size as a photograph oh, of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I also helped him cast his head in bronze. So it was a triptych. So... I did the drawing of Faisal, but it's Faisal's drawing because 
Ah, he said, would I draw, draw him? And uh, so, so that's what I did. And is the oil painting from that photo? Well, I had the photo, the... and then afterwards I thought, oh, I, I, might, I, I wanted to do this portrait, but I was trying to capture Faisal, because you know, he starts off as a, as a Christian, and then he, at university he converts to become yeah. a Muslim. And, and, and I was thinking about trying to capture that moment of enlightenment, transition, transition yeah. so that the, the painting had a different um, narrative yeah. going on there. Yeah. Oh no, because that's a great photo you've got of him in the RA in the background and in the foreground you've got uh, Yinki Shanabari. Yes. What a good... And no, I, is it your photo? Did you get that or did someone get it and... No, no, I was, it, it was at Varnishing Day and he was there because it was his curated room yeah. and he was there um, and the other guy he's talking to, somebody Suzuki, anyway they're both artists. And I sort of like edge. I thought, oh, will he get cross if I take a photo? But I just thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, no. just just between them, you can just see Faisal's face yeah, in the background. But you know what? It was funny. He he kept. Then he was in Wisconsin, but he sort of saying people keep contacting him about the painting. No one contacted me. Oh, he it was thinks like, people think it's a self-portrait. Um, I don't know what it would say it was mine, but they, everyone would sort of say, oh, I've seen you at the Royal Academy Summer Show. Because <laughs> he was in there himself a couple of years ago, wasn't he? Um, Goldfinger, that was yeah, the series, yes. I like that. that the interesting thing cool. about doing a portrait of someone else with the cross hatching, because I don't normally do that, was how intimate I got with all of the blemishes or the you know the, the creases and lines of Faisal's face. Yeah. And then I would go in to do the seminar with him on a Wednesday morning, and I would be talking about... Find yourself looking at And I'd be looking at that, like, <laughs> and it was quite... quite but, you know, to be yeah. that familiar with somebody else's face, it's sort of quite an interesting process. Do you know when was your first interest in art? Well, I think I only got interested in different artists later on, much later on, because I didn't do my degree till later on. I'd always loved art. My school was very science-orientated, and it was very difficult for me to do art because I was good at science. So how did you cross over? Well, why I, did you cross over? Um, well, actually... Like with hindsight, I don't really see that much of a gap between science and art because it's a, it's a way of thinking differently and outside of the box to come up with new ideas. And I sort of see them quite yeah. closely linked um, in terms of that way of thinking. And um, I always wanted to do art. Even when I was doing my science degree, I was like, oh, I wish I could have done art A-level. I, did, I managed to do a GCSE in art when I was doing my A-levels. Um, but then I sort of thought, oh, it's too, it's too late now, I'm going to do science. And then I thought, nah, I'm not going to do science, I'm going to go off sailing. So then I, when I finished my degree, I went off sailing for seven years. And then I came back and I, and, and I was in a different place. And I thought, actually, no, I'm not too old to go back and I'm going to go and do this. Did you compete in sailing? Or was I did a lot just... of racing, yes. And I did a lot of long distance sailing as well. What was you doing all the time in, in that seven years? You obviously wasn't at sea for that seven years. I was mainly... Oh, yeah? Well, I'd have sort of like maybe two weeks maximum in port before I'd be off somewhere else. I, I, was, I was on the move a lot. And I think that's why when I come back and I, do, I end up doing sculpture, because I'm, you know, on a boat you have to be able to fix everything from the toilet yeah, 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 to yeah. the sail to, you know, whatever. And no one says, can you do this? It's just expected that you can take a winch apart and put it back together. And so... You know, I'd become very skillful in all different tools, and I, I didn't. You know, I had an expectation of myself that you know, if I wanted to do something, I can do it. I remember the first conversation we ever had 
like me being in prison and you being sort of isolated at sea. I don't know if you yes. remember that at all. But yeah, that was one of the first conversations. I didn't realise it was for so long though. Mine was, I was away for seven years. Yes. Was away for seven years. <laughs> yes. There's a bit of common ground. I got there. out before you <laughs> Yeah, you was allowed a bit of a, a bit of home leave every now and then. What, so what made you stop it and go into art? Well, I was in Japan when I, I got a phone call from my mum and my granddad was ill. And I'd been very close to my granddad. And it was, you know, it was just old age, but he, he wasn't going to have that much time. So as soon as we got to uh, the Osaka, um, I, I came back and I spent three months with my granddad till he died, I, visiting him every day. I just wanted to spend some time. And while I was doing that, I, it sort of gave me time to think, you know, do I want to carry on moving Being at this away. rate because I was losing touch with people in England old friends and it's quite it is a transitory existence you mm. make friends and then you go off in different directions you might see them again or you might not but there is sort of um, it's a very communal villagey sort of atmosphere but it's also quite lonely because of that change all the time having said that I'm still in touch with quite a lot of the people I was sailing with then and you know they're still sailing around the world and racing and um, that's that's really good well one of the works that you've made recently Hope and Glory are you right talking about that? well Hope and Glory is the, the one with Brian who was a sailor yeah. and they're rating on top yeah no but are you right talking about the whole film? yes I saw it um, as I said to you earlier, I mean, we spoke about in Paradisum um, just before we started this recording, and it had Miller running around in circle in the snow, and you were saying, or, or you explained, it was to do with um, dementia. Dementia. Sorry, Parkinson's yeah. was the other one, wasn't it? Yeah. Would you mind just re-explaining what hap- how that came about? Yeah, parad- in Paradisum. Well, my mother's father died when she was about twelve or thirteen. And he, he was a musician, and he'd been teaching um, her and her sister the piano, and all that stopped then. And I'd got a, a piano at the house, because my children were sort of thinking they might want to play the piano, and she was trying to pick out the tunes and was getting quite frustrated, she couldn't remember them. And, all, you know, my mum doesn't have dementia, but it was that sort of process of, of trying to remember and forgetting and the fragmentation of the music. So I recorded her trying to pick out the music and I, I, I thought you know this is sort of quite a good analogy of that, that loss and when I then was thinking about what shall I put that music to I'd got this footage of my son running around in the snow on Hampstead Heath and he's just running in this circle as fast as he can and, and sometimes he slips over, yeah. Yeah, and then getting up and like he won't won't get up and I and I put, I put the music to to that and it is it is sort of it was slightly slowed down as well in yes, places where very, he got yes it was slowed down it was sort of like it, it, I, I was thinking at the time about human struggle that you know you, you get no matter what you, you get knocked back and you have to get up and carry on um, and it's just going mad in circles in circles yes. and, and I, I did like that connection between my mum and her grandson, my son. You know. And that music was? It was just bits of different music. that I don't know what the pieces were called. They were just little bits of fragments that my mum could remember yeah. from her childhood. But and was it the recorded... Did you record your mum playing, did you yes. say? Yes. Nice. Yes. Makes it even better. And the other one is this, the other one, Hope and Glory, is the same bit of film. It is. Slightly smaller. A minute or so, isn't it? 
it's quite ed- edited. I mean, um, my friend, my friend Brian Thompson, he's um, a professional. And, oh, sorry. When was Parad- in Paradisum made? When did you make that? Roughly years ago. Um, I, I think it's probably about six, six or six, six years ago. And Hope and Glory using the same. Or maybe less. Five. Hope and Glory was done just before. So I, I hadn't got in Paradisum in mind, but I had the footage, um, the footage for Hope and Glory. I thought actually later on I thought that went better with the music, or just differently. The reason I had Miller running for the um, Hope and Glory was that it was it's this circuit. It was like the global thing. And Brian, when I'm talking to him, he's talking about like the, you know the. Not the corruption necessarily, but you know, there's this, this struggle, like, yeah. you know. And it was, it is sort of, I mean, I had to look up because I didn't know, I didn't know of the story, so I did look it up afterwards. And, and I was re- there was a, a quite a detailed article about Jules Verne Trophy, yes. So the, the entrance fee had gone up to 30,000 euros after Ellen MacArthur had got sponsorship the year before, is that correct? I think so. You're probably more up to date because I didn't realise you'd be talking about this. <laughs> so it's only just because I looked, because I didn't know what it was, so I just went and sort of have had a look. And then they were talking about how, was it was it these two guys, and I'm sorry, I don't, what was I don't even think, made, uh, Steve Fossett? Steve, Steve Fossett. Fossett, sorry. Yeah, he apologize. was always competing against Richard Branson, but... Oh, was he? Steve, Steve Fawcett was the real deal. He was com- completely mad, and he would get these people is that, together. Is that the guy you was one of the guys you was talking to? No, it, he died. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. Yeah. He, so do you, I don't know if you remember the time when Michael Branson and Steve Fawcett they were doing these balloon races, and they were always yeah, competing. yeah. I didn't, I didn't know but that. But quite often Richard Branson would get other people to sort of do it, whereas Steve Fawcett would do it oh, for himself. Nice. But Steve Fawcett went missing in um, in an aeroplane. And they never found the body. Oh, but um, did they find the plane? They all they they found was a few remnants of clothes, like a year or so later. But all of the people who worked for him were. Um, it wasn't in the mountains, was yeah. it? Yeah, I remember it that story. So the, the other guy, Mark, um, who's speaking on it, Mark Featherston, um, he worked for Steve Fawcett. And last summer I was with Mark and um, another guy who worked for Steve Fawcett, but he was doing the, the hang gliding, long distance hang gliding. And I think they had something, like between Brian, Mark, and um, I can't remember the other guy's name just now, um, they, they had something like 30 plus world records. So, um, and I was saying to Miller, you know, gosh, there's four people around this table and all of them have world records, so that that means, percentage-wise, there's a good chance you might get there. <laughs> yeah. you just got to go into the world with that attitude, whether it's a world record or just something you want to achieve, and you can go out and do it. And yeah. so they, they was cheated, sort of cheated out of the, the prize, or Steve Fossett was yes. cheated out of the prize. Yeah, his book was called PlayStation, wasn't it? Yeah, cause he, cause, so he won by, was it six or 13 days? Because mm. there was two stories going on at the time. So he beat it by 13 days. The one behind him beat the previous record by six days. Is that correct? And they won it. They won it because there was a discrepancy over the, the money. Some people were paying 11,000 euros. He got told to pay 30. He thought he should pay 11. So he sent them a cheque for 11. They didn't cash it because they wanted 30. Yes. There was a little bit of politics inside because the other, the other competitors were... Were they on the board or something like that? Yes, I was. Yeah. So he was, he was cheated out of it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I presumed that both of these films, because they involved Miller, I presumed they'd been made recently. No. So I read them as, as recent works, which made it quite um, significant for me, really, when I, when I was watching them. Um, are you right to talk about Miller? Yeah, we can see. So I saw it. Now, Miller passed away recently. Five months five ago. Five months ago. And, I mean, the, the title, In Paradisum, that, that's just, I just saw, saw it as exactly that. And you know, in Running Man in Circles with, with the music in the background, I obviously thought that was... Yes. Um, well, I mean, it seems quite prophetic now. I don't think I could have sort of made it now, to be honest. Yeah. Or right now, maybe in the future, if I hadn't made it already, but it just would be too, just yeah. too soon. Because, well, because, as I say, because I'd, that's the first time I saw it, and knowing what happened to it, how old was Miller? Twelve. So I, I presume because you can't really see him because he's running around in that false suit with a hat on. I presumed he was, I'd like seven or, or nine in the in the yeah. clip. Looking at the bearing in mind that I presumed it was uh, in response to that. I was trying to figure out what the com- what the parallels the conversation had with Miller passing um, of of these guys talking about the race and, and why you placed it. I know you didn't, mm. but that I presumed you did. So, you know, I was trying to see what the juxtaposition was between his passing and this conversation. And funnily enough, when we were talking before this recording started, um, you mentioned some, a little something there that was part of what I read within it. And I read about it, you as a parent, and them as yachtsmen um, being cheated out of a trophy. Oh, right, that's, yes. that's how I read it. I you know, losing you losing a trophy to someone else. Were they on the the boat? That the, yes. Right. So they they'd very much come to terms with accepting the loss. They don't talk about them being cheated as much. They talk about the next guy being the winner and and quite at, at ease talking about the other guy being the winner. So they had accepted loss, and ultimately the or the person of Miller and. The, the conversation going ahead. The, the basis of it is, it just just isn't fucking fair, really, is it? You know. The, no, no. So um, yeah, I've, I've I read into that. Totally different. So, but my circumstances have changed, and so maybe maybe the meaning. You know, I would read it differently yeah. now. I haven't looked at that one since Miller died. I've looked at in Paradisum, and obviously, you know, the meaning for me had changed with that, but. I mean, I can't think... There's a few pieces that, I, that I've made that 
have a different resonance for me since he died. That, that you know, I think as I said, a lot of artists, you know, death is always within their work. The, maybe it's the fear of death or the fragility of our life, but you know, I wasn't, and that is within my work. But I hadn't been looking at the the, the fragility of my my son's life. I'd sort of, as any parent would assume that he would he would have carried on. Mm. But even looking at this, you know, um, vase of flowers in bronze that I've got and are sort of very badly modelled and sort of referencing a Cezanne painting, but they suddenly become a memorial, don't they? Mm. Sort of like a headstone or, or something. So. So that, that sort of does change um, how I feel about a lot of things. And in fact, you know, at Christmas, the, paint, the painting I was working on was of Miller. I used Miller a lot because he was very unself-conscious. He was quite happy to carry on what he was doing yeah. while I was sort of filming him or taking a photo. Whereas a, a lot of people, when you're trying to sort of do a portrait, they, they, there's that wooden smile comes on, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you can't you can't get that look. So it's it's about not being aware of yourself, being completely absorbed in what you're doing, and he was very good at that. And do you think that you will be able to produce work along the same mindset as you did before, or do you think that Miller will pop into your work most of the time in the future? Not least, not that that's a yeah, well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, Do you know, know what I mean? Well, I mean, given, given that he was in my work, work a lot, he, in, in a way he was a muse, but the thing is, you know, I'm not the same person that I was then, mm. and my life influences are within all my work, but now, you know, I've got this different life influence, and so, yeah. Because yeah, although that my view on that hope and glory was totally wrong, you know, I, I didn't know, I only go by the information that, that I sort of already have within. I mean, there's, I don't see anything wrong in reading an artwork wrong, or even if you was to put, like, like you said earlier, in, in Paradisum, that you sort of, it was as if you sort of preempted um, in, in some way what, what had happened. I, I don't even think, in, as, as an artist, changing the approach to a previous work, you know, or changing the story behind it, or, or adding something to it. I think it does change change the reading. Yeah. Well, the, the mechanical piece that I do, Civil Unrest, I've done it in Rio, and I've also done it in London. Um, again, I was talking to Faisal, um, and he, he, he always maintains that that's a piece that should be done in different places. It's always current. There is always civil unrest. If I took civil unrest to the Mexican border and put it, you know, found a gallery there, yeah. then, then it would appear in a slightly different way because each time I've done it, it is, you know, it is a bunch of chairs and they're all rocking and stamping their feet. Because some of them aren't, are they? Some of them are, yes. Yeah. It's, it's to have the, if they were all moving in the same direction, it just wouldn't look... Yeah, because where, where some of them are static, that does bring a bit of peace into the the environment that you're trying to make, doesn't it? It's a, it not everyone is in that riotous mode. No. But, it, but they're not... The, th- the thing is that the chairs aren't necessarily the protagonists. When, when I did the piece in London um, at Trinity Boy Wharf in the gallery there, you know, as you come into the gallery, you're, you know, you're confronted by all these chairs rocking and making this noise, but it was, it was sort of referencing the, the, the problems at, at the border where people were frightened um, about migrants coming in and getting overwhelmed. And the how, migrants, how old was it, recent? It's a like couple of years. years. It, was, it was just when there was, the other winter, when, when everyone was frightened of, 
of it. Yeah. And somebody had been sort of talking about, you know, people trying to get in their car when they were coming across in the ferry and feeling threatened. And, and, you, and you've got to sort of think that, you know, the migrants trying to get in, they're probably very fearful themselves. They're, they're living in not very nice conditions and they're wanting a better life and escaping from whatever horrors they're coming from. So you've got that these sort of two opposing groups of people, both of whom are frightened for, for different reasons. Was there a drawing or a painting that went along with, no, with that one? No, there isn't. I haven't been doing the drawings um, so much recently. But the, the what, what I've been doing with mechanical pieces, I'm sort of like reading the papers and um, there will be some, some things going on. So in Rio there was political unrest and it's even more you know I could take it back today in Rio There's, it's really dangerous out there right now but there's been a, a landslide it was all the poor people in the favelas whose homes had got destroyed mm. and um, I was sort of invited out there to put this piece in a very rich area in Rio sort of and, and it was sort of socialites sort of really going to see the exhibition and not realising um, that it was a, it, this comment necessarily was being made yeah and the chairs, the chairs themselves were sort of quite, they were really old and battered. I had a real problem finding the chairs anyway, because people just don't throw things away. Yeah. But, so the, these chairs had just possibly been manufactured in, in the sort of work industry areas of the favelas, and with a certain side, had gone into these homes, where they might have been in an expensive dining room or lounge, and then when they got old and they didn't want them anymore, they got sort of thrown out and ended up back in the fella. So there was this sort of circle. And then I take them back out again, and, and they're really wrecked by this point, and then put them in this gallery, and they're sort of, sort of rocking as all these people are coming through. And, they wouldn't and, and would you have just one, like, would you have just that one being shown at the time, or would you have another piece elsewhere in the same room? The really, ideally, I, I, it's an installation, so it should be in the room... room on itself, rather, I wanted it to be sort of more of this interaction between viewers and and the piece, and and if you have um, other pieces around, then it becomes a gallery again. There's also the you know Trinity Boy Wharf. It was very much self-contained, but it's by the docks where you know throughout history people have been coming in, and going out, and there's already a, a history of movement. Because University of East London been using Trinity Boy Wharf for quite a while now, haven't they? It's like, I know, I think they pretty much started when I was here in two thousand and two or three. We the um, they've always been very supportive Trinity Boy Wharf Trust, I think it is. Yeah. Anyway, and they they sort of given this gallery space um, that you know we were able to let either let students have group shows or invite artists, and I. Um, was invited just to do yeah. this this piece. I've there. been back there since, and it's a it's a great little it's like a little lost area, isn't it? It's, yes. It, I, I was quite surprised because everything's being built up around it. Yes. The O2's opposite. Um, it's a creative area. I was quite surprised that it, it survived. Yeah. Well, I think they must they must own own it. Going back to the questions, just put an handbrake on the conversation. Can you remember your first turning point? I think the most successful piece was probably my sort of like two-thirds of the way through my first year at Chelsea um, when I, I cast myself I did a, um, myself in Rodin's Age of Bronze that's that was the position I took and they did a mudrock mold of me and I, I made it in plaster and I'd sort of got this this figure and I wasn't entirely sure of what I was doing and I hadn't found where I was going or what I was doing and 
in the process of setting this you know, life-size cast of myself into the, uh, the plaster base, it broke off just above the ankles. And so I got this exhibition on the Monday when I was installing, and I went, and this was Friday night, and I, I went home and I was thinking about it. And I realised, thinking about it, sometimes when I was struggling with it, I'd go and lie down in a dark room and have a think, um, that why was I casting myself in the pose of Rodin's Age of Bronze? And it was really about my struggle as an artist at the college and um, me wanting to, you know, Rodin, the father of contemporary sculpture, at that, you know, in the Age of Bronze particularly because it was thought that it might have been a live cast even though it was just really well modelled and, yeah. and, and it was just an ordinary person and it wasn't a heroic figure and all of those connotations. So that's, that's why I'd chosen it. And, and the, the fact that it was broken, I suddenly thought, I can, I can just have it broken. Yeah. So on the Monday I came in and the, the, the feet were in the plaster base and the, and the rest of it was just lying flat on the ground and I just threw some plastic sheeting which I'd seen um, in museums for wrapping sculptures when it was going into storage yeah. and I threw it, threw it over the sculpture and I just had this sort of crumpled piece of paper that I'd written, I stand for nothing. So oh, literally nice. it stood for nothing yeah. and, and figuratively. And, and it was a comment about what I didn't know sort of where I was in this sort of like maybe this sort of phallocentric world of art and even just as an artist I, mean, was I, ever, I don't think you guys was it the question that the feet wasn't present that weren't present the feet were present though it was just a, the, the the feet were still set oh you still the, showed them separate. yeah it was the whole thing but the, the feet were there oh, and, it was, and, and the, the figure had fallen onto the ground and it was sort of I think I mean I sort of perhaps went over the top because it had this sort of like like um false nose and smeared lipstick and it was yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Scene, the scene of a crime and um it was when we were having the crit. I just remember everyone gathering around and looking at it, and it it had been sort of quite a difficult piece anyway, because um, it was figurative, and you know, figurative wasn't very popular at that time. You know, at, at college, there were many people doing figurative pieces. So, would you say that's the piece that you hold most dear? I don't. It doesn't hold most dear, but it, but after that. Um, the piece that followed, there's always an element of damage, and that was sort of like the first one where, where it was damaged, and it was all right to be damaged. Yeah. It didn't have to be perfect. What piece would you have you ever sort of regretted selling, or or wouldn't sell, or? It's not normally about that sort of value. I think. The, oh, no, I don't. The, I, I mean, what yeah. one would you not I let th- go, probably, even in your heart? There, well, there are two. There's the vast piece and civil unrest. Civil unrest seemed. When I, when I when I did that that piece and thought about it, it seemed to bring together not just all of my artwork, but also my sailing history because uh, you know it, it, it located in Brazil, it was located over here, and there's a sort of sort of it became global in terms of what I'm looking at, whether it's the environment and mm. politics, and I really sort of clarified that it's not always just personal. It's it's about like. What's happening in the world of politics, and it sort of really clarified my, my thoughts a lot. Um, and I and then I could read all of that a lot better in, in different pieces of work as well, like the, the Vars piece that was about transition as well, where I'd been asked to bring an, an artwork to Switzerland for a show, and it had to fit into an airline bag. It couldn't be any bigger than that, 
and I wanted to take this vase, but the vase was, was that, too big. Was that part of their stipulation, or was that just you the getting work, it there? The work had to fit in an air. Everyone was given an airline bag, and oh, bring an artwork that fitted in. And I had this big vase, and I decided that I would smash the vase to fit in the bag. And then I got it Excellent. there, and then I, I and it was all sort of taped together with masking tape and gaffer tape to sort of get it back into that vase shape. Did you succeed? Um, it did go back together, but it was quite hot at the exhibition, and it gradually starts collapsing <laughs> on, on itself. But that was sort of part yeah. of it. But it was that again. It was sort of like the, the madness about trying to hold on to things, keeping things together, and um, in, in, in a similar way to relationships. When do you let go of something? Yeah. When when is it all right? You know, I've, I've taped it. I've done this. I've glued it, and it's still falling apart. Yeah, it's broken. And, and maybe yeah. I need to need, yeah. need to give up on it's it. It's broken. You know, it's... Yeah, and, I, and and that's another piece that that I've sort of subsequently done in different countries as well. When I gave you the, the sort of list of the basic questions I was asking, and I said, "Where do you go for inspiration?" You, you, you had a little think and you couldn't, couldn't figure out where to do it. But I just said it before just we didn't. An, Yeah, you just answered it just then. Yes. You said you'd go and lie in a dark room. Yeah. Uh, was that just a figure of speech or was that... No, no, I used to go and lie down and sort of like that half dozing, half thinking. I used to do that a lot. And, and the other thing I would do at college is I would go to the library and get a really dense book that wouldn't hold my attention and, and start to read. Oh. No, no. <laughs> It would be so dense that reading it, my mind would start yeah. going off into a different direction. Sometimes you need to get dis- distracted in, in a different way. See, with me, I've sort of half discovered that my inspiration lies in a bit of sadness and, and darkness from, um, from when I was in prison. So if I ever get, or depending, if I ever sort of lost for, for inspiration, there's a few go-to artists that I have that... Generally, depending on what mood I'm in, I'll just type their name into Google Images and just sort of start looking at their work and then that gets me going again. But other than that, I have to sort of put myself back into prison for a little while just to get that um, to get that same feeling that I've fought hard over the years to try and get rid of. Sometimes I sort of have to summon that up again. Um, and, and that sort of has got its um, demons sometimes. Do you still do that in a dark room? Yes. You still do? Yes, I would. I thought you was, I thought you was on about you just done it as so a that, student. and. No, no. No, I will, you know, it, that sometimes works quite well. I just go and, if I've got a problem, I've got to go and lie, I just lie down with the curtains shut and I'll, I'll sort of start daydreaming and thinking and, and it, yeah, it still works. Well, there you go. But I, I like going to, um, galleries and, and or just museums and things, something completely different but there's a, a material and method yeah. going on and sometimes that, that frees, frees up the thing. Well, so I was talking to you earlier about Dougie Fields who was in the first um, podcast he gets his inspiration from walking through Brompton Cemetery so it's probably just because it's peace, calm um, and it's a signifier mm. so for him it, 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 if he goes to that place that's <clears> the place he that he associates with, with yeah. thinking, so we, we just set those sort of things up. Don't and we? I mentioned that a few go-to artists that I would go to um, just for a little bit of inspiration. One of the questions here is: if there was you and five other artists, past and present, who would be the first perfect group show? Okay, I hadn't thought about this before, but during the conversation, 
Uh, on foundation, the, the the first one that really impressed me was um, Brancusi. I mean, they're probably classics for the for the sculptor. And then Rodin obviously was the big influence and in switching to a different way of thinking for me. And um, I quite often mention Merit Oppenheim. I love her fur teacup. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and the thought of having that fur touching my lips, and I quite, you know, I think that's a, if you could get that sort of feeling of revulsion of the idea of fur touching your lips in a in a piece of work, then that's that's quite a, a successful yeah. thing. You want people to think differently. Uh, I really like Philip Barlow's sculpture, yeah. and Caravaggio and Sargent. How many have I said? Six. It's not a bad. It's not a bad. Uh, yeah. Not a I, bad gang. Is I, it? I, I didn't. I, I. I didn't really know Sargent very well until I did this week's residency at, at the National Portrait Gallery when Sargent. Um, there was a big Sargent show, curated by his great nephew, who's sort of the expert. And and I spent a week there, and I talked a lot to um, Richard Ormond, who curated mm. the show. And, and at the same time, there's um, another artist called uh, Rupert Alexander, and he's sort of painted the Queen and I think Prince Philip. But he, he trained in Italy, and um, he, you know, is a, an admirer of Sargent's mm. painting. So, I, I, you know, having spe- I, I spent quite a lot of time on Sargent and thinking about his technique and really sort of, you know, I hadn't looked at him really before. But what I love about Sargent's paintings, when you get close to them, especially the the, the landscape ones, they, 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 the, the painting is really impasto, just collapses into abstraction. Mm. And that, that's, that's what I really like. I'm not very much into photorealism. I mean, the, the last question here, I, f- I think you've probably sort of pretty much answered that as well. But if you wasn't an artist, what do you think you'd be? Or what would you like to be? I like... Talking to scientists. That's where I thought it was going. Yes, I went. I went to. A, it was a day's lecture just in January or early February, and it was all different scientists. There was about eight lectures, I think, but they were talking about um, innovations in, in, in the sciences at this time, and th- there were various ones that really touched me. But there were. There were the thing that I hadn't realised is that the, the human cell, I think it's geared to its maximum sort of life is 115 years. So if we, if we could develop our health um, so that we weren't suffering from, you know, dementia and Parkinson's and there's no other sort of ailments, underlying ailments, we would probably live to 100 and, is it 113 or 115, something around there. And then we'd probably just die in our sleep. Mm. But because of all these other ailments, we die. But, you know, they sort of... One of the scientists was talking about there are, you know, the developments in in, in drugs to sort of um, that 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 help with this aging process. And if we could all live in good health to 113, then we would cost the NHS hardly any money. We'd be able to sort of not need carers, and so there wouldn't. We may live longer, but there wouldn't be this need. need for it, yeah. For, for people to be looked after, we live a proper life, which is what everyone wants. We just want to live a proper life, and 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 go when when the when the time is right. Yeah. But they, they they did find with one of the diabetes drugs that 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 was prolonging life on one level. The problem is because it was a drug, it was also having a contraindication as mm. well. You know, you can't have something like diabetes without that. But they did find it was in, increasing life, and I and and he was saying there were, were drugs in the pipeline that that could do that.
Um, and I, I just find all of that interesting. And, and also this microbial development that they're talking about now where things like Crohn's and probably even cancers can be treated by bacteria rather than drugs. And mm. so there's no sort of health repercussions. I mean, to be able to sort of help the world in that way, you know, mankind would be a great, great achievement, I think. Same as too many of us. Yes. Living, living so much longer. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the questions. Where would people find you and your work? Your website, social media? Um, on Instagram. I'm Cy Sapsford on Instagram and CySapsford.com. And it's just S I Sapsford. Um, and CySapsford.com. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was nice, chatting. Well, how about that? Cy took quite a long route to get into the art world a sculpture degree via a science lab and the seven seas. No one can deny that she's led an interest in life. And speaking of her life experiences, none greater than when she spoke of the loss of her 12-year-old son, Miller. I'm obviously not tactless enough just to throw that in there unexpected. We had spoken about those two films before we started the recording. And we did say that we'd speak about Miller's passing in the context of those two films. And if she thought the end result of it would cause her or anyone else for that matter any distress, then it obviously wouldn't make it in. So I'm sure you'll agree with me, it was quite a a moving few moments. And I'd like to thank Cy for um, trusting me to share it with you. It did make me laugh when Cy was talking about having a crappy little lock on the um, studio door just so it wasn't too much hassle for the burglars to get in. Or rather, just so they wouldn't cause too much damage. You can go and see Cy's work on her website, which is www.cysapsford.com. And likewise, over on Instagram, she is at Sapsford. As I said at the intro, next week is either Erica Flowers and the Kessler Trust, or Simon Callery. The Simon Callery podcast is recorded and ready to go, whereas the Erica Flowers Kessler Trust isn't quite finished yet. If it's finished in time, that will be on next week, because it sort of coincides of the opening of the show down on the South Bank. I had a nice little conversation this week with quite a large charity. They asked me round about a year ago if they could use one of my projects as one of their campaigns. And at the time when they asked me, the project hadn't quite reached its conclusion. But we spoke this week. I told them that um, the project had reached its conclusion and it's ready to use. So the phone call this week was just to discuss what they think they can do with it. And uh, I am also going to just try and chance my arm to see if I can crowbar in um, a small installation as a secondary work. Well, if you don't ask, you don't get the... uh, that's about it from me. So thank you once again to Syf Sapsford for allowing us into her studio. And like I said, next week it's either going to be Erica Flowers and Kessler Trust or Simon Callery. And like I bore you with each week, please pass on about the Mizzlegart podcast. We are on all the social medias with the username Mizzlegart. Likewise, there's a full listing over on our website, www.mizogart.com, a full listing of all the artists who are confirmed. And it's a cool car. Until then, see you next week. Ta-da! 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.